to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George, try and straight line it, get to the line and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton, oh! who rolls up and goes straight on. This is quite appalling, this is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unqualified. This is Graham. G is back. You'll be happy to know that uh, the soundboard is very much not back this week after some pretty strong feedback from our uh, small but mighty dedicated listener base uh, who thankfully does not send us that feedback through public forum. We really appreciate that, guys. Uh, but uh, So we'll be, we'll be saving and resting your ears, uh, hopefully... We'll be giving it a different type of pollution this evening. Uh, Gerald, I got to say, I severely underestimated the excitement that we were in for on Sunday. We had flags in the air, cars in the wall, and dingoes on the track. That's basically how I would say, how I would summarize it. I don't think I expected any of those three. Uh, how did it hit you, man? We got a lot to cover. Um, what did you think? It was shockingly more exciting and interesting than you had had alluded to in calling it one of the more boring races of the year. So that was a pleasant surprise. And also, while we had every intention of staying up, watching it as a group uh, live, <laughs> that, that was almost certainly never going to actually happen. And in reality, I'm very, very thankful that we uh, we backed away from that because this was one of those great races to tune in to on the next day and skip through, you know, an hour and a half of red flag stoppage. But all in all, I'm glad it wasn't as boring as you claimed. Otherwise, we really would have had nothing to talk about this week, given how quiet things were on Lance Stroll's news feed. Uh, so thankful for that. Uh, and, and now we actually have some content to, to bring you. Um, I'll take that out and post. <laughs> no need for that. Absolutely no need. Yes, I do think it's hilarious that we had aspirations to watch at 1 a.m., finish the race at 3 a.m., and then record a podcast episode from 3 to 4. I was asleep by 12.30, so. <laughs> and then I watched it. I was, in, I was done by 10, so. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did, did anybody. Packed it in early. Your buddies on Discord didn't stay up either? Oh, no. No, no. We, <laughs> we, we, we shut it down early. Ah, fair enough. Probably Probably for the better, so. Well, in the absence of anything related to to Lance Stroll, and for those of you who that's the the, the only reason that you tune in, you can uh, you, you can jump off now. But really, the the wasn't there was not a lot of gap week news. All in all, I mean, really, it, it centered around some very tactical changes. The pit box being widened after a couple of weeks of uh, sort of ridiculous penalties, and then really a conversation around changing the the overall weekend format, reducing the amount of practice, uh, which we will cover later. But beyond that, the the big headline was nothing but big red flag frenzy from start to finish of the race. A lot to cover regarding FIA decision making and policies or lack thereof. But maybe let's just start with a race recap. So finishing on the podium, Verstappen, Hamilton, Alonzo, the most world titles in a single podium in F1 history. I mean, what do you make of just the scene and, and that being the nature of the competition 
this year in particular? I mean, I think it's incredible. I, it's just like, I don't think it's really that close with Max. I Like, everybody was managing. So I think we're probably underestimating uh, how close Mercedes and... I think we're overestimating how close Mercedes and Aston were truly capable of being. But in general, that doesn't diminish for me just the quality of the drivers and the individuals. Like, that's so special, dude. Like, they each collectively represent a different era in Formula One, and they're all standing in the podium together, which is, like, how many other sports can that happen in realistically, right? Like, golf, maybe, because your athleticism doesn't, like, punt you out of the sport quite as quickly. Probably doesn't happen in basketball. Like, it, it's it's pretty special. And for three different teams. I mean, that's wild. Well, and why the proximity to Red Bull is certainly not there. It's pleasant to see how close Mercedes and Aston Martin are because being able to see sort of Hamilton and Alonzo battle again is a really exciting proposition and and great for the sport. Now, if only Ferrari could get their shit together, uh, we could actually have a three-way battle up there, but that does not seem like it's going to be happening no, anytime soon. <laughs> they are sliding down the hill, not climbing up it. There is no doubt about that. They're headed so headed to Alpine territory. <laughs> so, wow. I, yeah. Uh, so beyond that, though, you had the three on the front row, or I'm sorry, three on the podium. Signs looked like he might take a podium, but because of sort of the final incident at the race restart, he's hit with a five-second penalty, which basically on a on the restart dropped him out of the points so Death penalty yeah double dnf for ferrari this week um just at the highest level we got to talk about signs and the penalty what was your reaction was it fair was it too harsh was there an alternative I, my reaction was genuinely like sucks cuz i like i don't that i i like carlos signs as a driver and I generally want him to do well, relatively speaking, on that team. But, like, it's one of those situations where it's like, sucks, but, man, it's kind of the rules, right? Like, you caused an accident. It was clearly not a racing incident. Yeah, it was amongst, like, a lot of other chaos, but you basically ended someone else's race, apart from the fact that, like, the whole grid was reset. But, like... Yeah, you deserve a penalty, and it just sucks that the timing of it was such that that penalty, which was right, was five seconds. That was the appropriate size second penalty that there's plenty of precedent for for those types of, of collisions. You know, it's just the nature of the beast in Formula One that sometimes timing is everything, and it can work against you or for you. In this case, it was against him. So I can appreciate why he was, like, so beside himself. I mean, do you – I don't know which broadcast you're uh, – you were on the F1 TV broadcast, right? Do you remember how long during that red flag period they showed him sitting in the car with his helmet on, like appearing as if he was talking to himself because Hmm. he was like on team radio, like animated with his hands, like pleading his case. Like he was desperate. Um, And I get it. Right. And he went straight to the stewards afterwards. Like I don't fault him for any of that, but like, that's just how the sport works, man. Like sometimes you do the, you know, a not so terrible thing, but just at a really terrible time. And that's, you know, that is what it is. I actually think the stewards got that one pretty pretty bang on, if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, to your point, all of the conditions in terms of what he did or didn't do correctly resulted in something that would at any other time really warrant that kind of penalty. It just sucks that you're on the, you know, third to last lap of the race and you don't really have any time to 
to make up for it. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I think you saw something, a, a kind of a similar thing with, with Perez in practice, or I'm sorry, in qualifying where, you know, he botched qualifying largely because you're not taking into account. And this is one of the things I think is most interesting about the sport is like the need for the driver to take in both all of like the immediate actions that they have to take, but also the macro circumstances, right? For sign, it's, it's a recognition of, yes, you want another position or two here, but you also need to finish the race. And totally, you can't blow turn one. We're similarly, similarly for Perez, which we'll talk more later, you know, while he did have braking issues, it's also something you knew about throughout earlier practice sessions. It's Q1. Like, the, you know the tires have taken a long time to warm up. Like, all of these things should be data points for you to adapt exactly the actions that you're taking in that in that situation. And unfortunately he didn't, he didn't do that. So after those, I mean, big winners this weekend had to be Aston Martin third and fourth place. Don't think anybody was, was expecting that at the beginning of the weekend. Meanwhile, Perez coming from the back of the grid, starting in the pit lane sneaks into fifth place. Albeit it's important to note. He was seventh place before that, that red flag. (laughs) Before the Alpines just sent it into the wall. (laughs) Yes. And so We'll talk more Leroy! about whether. <laughs> Sorry. All right, he's eager to use the soundboard, folks. He's sort of <laughs> that was natural. If I if I do the impression, then nobody can complain. Sorry. <laughs> um, we'll talk more about whether or not that was really a an adequate performance from from Perez, and then rounding out the the points was Norris, Hulkenberg, Piastri, Joe, and Sonoda. So. Several folks who have, have not seen points before. Piastri getting points in his home race. Hulkenberg nabbing some. Uh, and now, now McCl- and Sonoda now uh, with, with AlphaTauri uh, with, on the board with some points. So it was a big weekend across the board for, for the back of the grid. Now, anybody on the back of the grid that scored points and wants to be happy about it, what I would say to you is like, good for you. You may want to write that one off on your taxes because it's definitely a charitable donation. I like... I, you know, what can you, 12 cars finish the race, Gerald? Like how much, how much can Oscar Piastri really celebrate being in the points when 12 cars finish the race? Like, well, I mean, and that's, that's really not indicative for... of, of true car performance. It's not, it's just survival, which is like half luck. Yeah. And while Norris and Hulkenberg were on track for, for the podium anyway, Piastri, Joe, Sonoda, I believe were not. And so, yes, lucky enough to, to sneak in there. Um, and I think it's important to note, while you know we've been here kind of predicting a a rise of Joe relative to Botas, second week in the row, Joe outperformed Botas in both qualifying and the race. Botas basically finishing last place, albeit signs technically behind him given the penalty. Uh, but but I think the big note on that last restart was you know while signs caused a collision, Gasly. And his incident was basically caused by him going deep on that same turn. Yep. Sergeant going deep into DeVries was a was a similar situation. So across the board, they're well, kind of colder temperature. Stroll went Stroll deep. Went deep. Turn two. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, across the board, it was you know a low grip track, cold conditions, and race restart, which uh, again, not enough drivers calibrating to the conditions and questions of is the the standing start really the right call at that point, but let's kind of go through all the incidents that 
that made up this this race weekend. Uh, starting with the the first one being Albon. I'm sorry, Leclerc really was the first incident, not a red flag. He spins out early, trying to turn in um, on Stroll. Stroll and Leclerc come together. Leclerc comes out the worst for it. Beached in the gravel trap. They call a yellow flag. What was your take on this incident? Who was at fall? And was that the, the right call with the yellow flag? Classic Leclerc trying to do too much. Too early in the race, he's pressing. And shows a lack of maturity of just like seeing the long game of like, I need to keep this thing in the race and put put points on the board. And like, that was not Lance Stroll's fault. He was entitled to the position he had on the track. And Leclerc was too eager in a short run down to the first turn and tried to cut in on him. And there was no room uh, totally on him. So um, yeah, I mean, I think my, the implication for me is like, I want to give Charles Leclerc some credit because the entire team and all the circumstances around him are working against him. And I can't even begin to comprehend how frustrating and demotivating that would be and how much more it would tempt you to try and then compensate for it by overextending yourself on the track. So like, I'm sympathetic, but also like, dude, this is your job. Your job is to bring the car home. And like he has shown consistently a pattern of being crashy. And he just continues to do it and just make these little mistakes. Um, and it it's not like it's not like Verstappen level aggressive driving. It's a different kind, right? It's not like two guys go into the turn, I'm gonna get wheel to wheel with you, and basically if you don't back out, we're both crashing. It's like dumber stuff than that. Where like he's doing things that don't even give the other op- driver an opportunity to back out of it. He's just like making dumb moves. Um yeah, it's more like Verstappen is willing to force a driver reaction, right? In a in a very, you know, in a very effective time, right? Where you're saying, well, we're close in points in the championship standing, and so it's I'm going to apply pressure to you specifically. Yeah. Whereas Leclerc is just like a silly mistake where, yeah. It's not like there was this dilemma of like, well, does the person respond or not? Risk calculation is just turn it was one. something that was never going to work. You just yeah. made a mistake. Um, now yeah. the, your, your question about the yellow flag coming out. I mean, I presume that was because there was gravel on the track, right? Like that was. Well, so that was the Albon one. I mean, I think they made the right call there, right? It was, he yeah. was off. He was out of the way. He was in the gravel kind of close to the track. But that seemed reasonable enough. There was no gravel on the track. I think that one was a pretty straightforward one. They got it right. And you think, oh, all right, well, the FIA is going to be on it this weekend. All right, cool. That being said, we go to the next incident. Later in the race, Albon spins out, hits the wall, shoots a bunch of gravel into the track, is basically sitting on the the edge of the track. I mean, Hulkenberg nearly barely misses him as he's coming through at full speed. Cause they haven't thrown the yellow flag yet. Dude, did you they watch throw- that onboard of Hulkenberg? Yeah, it was, that, it was dude, pretty was much luck that Albon scary. stopped where he did. If he had kept going like rolling, it would, he would have been done. Dude, credit Hulkenberg though. He didn't twitch the wheel. Like, no, he when, was he was, he was committed fully to the sending line, it man. at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was for crazy. better or for worse, he Dude, was holding the line. Like you couldn't even see Albon's car; all you could see was a cloud of dirt, and he just literally held the line. And I, he was not even like all the way on the right edge of the track either. Like it was. No, nah, it was like fifty. It was like fifty-fifty <laughs> at that point. Like, eh, you know, you might be making it out of this one. Who knows? Yeah, it was pretty wild. But 
you know, they called the safety car for about two laps, which is what led Mercedes to call in Russell, who was leading the race at that time. Um, and again, phenomenal for Mercedes one, three at that point, they had both gotten by Mercedes or Verstappen at the start of the race Verstappen had taken a position back on Hamilton coming for Russell. They decided to pit him under safety car only to then have the FIA call a red flag to the race, obviously sort of hugely disadvantaging anybody who pitted like Russell, I guess, what was your reaction to that decision was in terms of the FIA calling one thing and then another, and then ultimately was the red flag the the right call in that first incident? I mean, I, I don't think it was the right call. I mean, in the moment, it felt very quick. Well, it didn't feel quick because it didn't happen immediately. But when the red flag came out, it felt like a complete misjudgment. And then I started to try to rationalize it. And so did the guys on the broadcast and Jillian Palmer, or no, it was um, Coulthard was like, well, if the barrier's damaged, that's the only reason I could think that they would rationalize the red flag. But I they I don't know they ever really went back to the question of was the barrier damaged, but I don't really think it was. I mean, he scraped I mean, it. Yeah, like, they, the branding was damaged, was and cosmetic. so I don't know if some. Yeah, I don't know if somebody saw that and then assumed there was a, a bigger damage. That being said, I'm not I'm not angry at them maybe playing to caution on that and saying, well, well, maybe there is damage. We need to make sure that that part yeah. of the barrier is secure. I, for me, I thought a lot of it had to do with like the position of the car and the gravel but don't you think they could have still cleaned that up in the intervals between when the cars came through? And I don't know that the gravel is like a hugely damaging, you know, factor. Yeah. I mean, maybe some of it also just had to do with the fact that like at that point in the race, because the grid is less stretched out, obviously George Russell clearly didn't work out for him this way, but like a red flag comes with potentially less consequences in terms of implications to race strategy. But then obviously Mercedes opted for an incredibly aggressive strategy and like it didn't work out that way. But like, you wonder if that same incident occurred 30 laps later, are they still red flagging it? Like maybe not. Right. Like mm. if Red Bull, you know, if, if there's a Red Bull 30 seconds down the road, I don't know. Um, well, that does not seem to have been a factor in any of their decisions. It's true. You know, as of late, they seem more inclined to call one than not. Um, I guess, what is your thoughts on that in terms of when they call one thing, like a yellow flag leading teams to make a decision to pit and then subsequently call a red flag. Do you think that that driver should be granted sort of a, a similar position back because they went in for new tires. They're all going to get new tires. Like it just kind of seems like a bullshit thing where you can be like, well, let's see who pits here. Oh, like those guys. No. Could, yeah, actually we're going to do a red flag. Like why shouldn't Russell get that, that position back since they're all going to come out on I, whatever tires they want afterwards. I, I don't think you can, make the FIA basically only pick one color flag and have to stick to it. That doesn't feel right because it precludes them from being able to discover more information when people get onto the track and can assess the damage of something, which to me is like an option you should always have, you know, to not assume that you can see everything on a camera, you know, uh, angle. Um, so I think we should afford them time. And also like, let's just think about the fact that like, remember that like not every part of a track is a good place to have an accident. Like some places on tracks are harder to get to than others, right? To like assess and value, like assess the situation. Sometimes it takes time. Um, to your point about the tire thing though, like I'm not really a fan of adding more layers to the rules of like what you get in terms of flexibility for tire and strategies under certain flag conditions. I think it needs to be simple, explicit, and very clear and predictable is like my general rubric for like the rules. Because like think about the fact that like 
so let, let's say to, 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 to remedy this, they say you cannot change tires under a red flag. Well, then what is going to happen at the end of the race? Like when they red flag it and guys are on 25 lap old tires and they try and put them in blankets and then do a standing start at the end, then you're going to have like five cars finish a race. So like, I, I don't really think the alternative is workable. This kind of comes back to just like the, and maybe I'm just a little bit of like a, a pacifist in my point of view on this, but like timing is everything in the sport. And sometimes timing F's you and sometimes timing crowns you. And whichever side of a red flag you're on, it just, it's kind of is what it is. Like George but Russell. I don't, is, yeah. I don't, I don't think that just saying, well, you're on older tires. And so now you should, because we're going to do a standing start, you should get to put on new tires. Like, no, you should fucking figure out how to drive your car appropriately given the age of tires that you have. And to be, and, and to that though, I don't actually know how much is a, the start difference changed by the age of tires, right? Like when you're talking Probably about, hugely. you think so? Dude, for a, an unscrubbed like set of softs, then in you should have fucking pitted your... earlier, maybe. You yeah, know, like no. everyone is going to be in that same situation, right? Like only the so, team who chose to pit immediately before the unpredicted red flag would have some sort of tire advantage. Like everybody else presumably is largely going to be on, you know, potentially a similar strategy age of tires again, depending on when that incident happens. And so I, I don't know that it makes any difference. I'm fine if you want to make a rule to basically say everybody, nobody can change tires under red flag as long as you apply it consistently and don't put situational conditions on the rule like where you are in the race or whether the thing was yellowed before it was red or how many teams are in the pits. Like, Pick a side, make it consistent. If there's a red flag, then this, and that is straightforward and predictable. And if you want to change tires, great. If you don't, great, but make it simple and predictable and consistent like that's that's ultimately what i care about well and to your point on the yellow to red flag thing i agree with you it's hard to fully assess the situation and so that you're right they probably do need that flexibility i think where i struggle so far is one it seems like they're taking a really long time to make decisions like when you look last week like the whole fact that stroll is on the track you know is is out of the way and they call the red flag on that like like you should be able to make the decision faster. And I guess inherently, I just don't like the idea that teams need to be trying to predict the the mindset of the FIA as to whether or not they're going to to pit and and make this strategy pivot. I don't have a great solution to that one. It's just yeah, I was gonna ask. It, it feels unfortunate answer? of like that that becomes such a big part of the decision making on how you're on your strategy for the race, I but. But on the other piece, I think agreed, consistent, and simple. I don't actually really care about the tires one way or the other. I kind of like the idea of you having to stay with the tires, but I also like the fact that they're calling red flags because, you know, you talk about the end of race stuff, which, you know, just to cover off on that, right? So that was pretty early in the race with Albon spin. And then you get Magnuson hitting the wall largely unforced maybe you say joe was forcing pressure but no just sort of way, ran man. into the wall that was like an accident you see on a video game dude like <laughs> like just what a noob was this just <laughs> going long <laughs> just yeah tank so, slapped it didn't even lose the rear just like <laughs> hit the wall like you didn't even see it was there <laughs> 
So he hits the wall, causes a bunch of dis- debris and a wheel sitting on the track. And then the final red flag was basically after the chaos, after that restart, all of those red flags having a standing start. All that to say, I generally think that you could stick with the same tires, right? Because you're still holding those teams to whatever strategy they were executing at that time. I think the big mitigating factor is stopping the standing start and going back to a rolling start after the red flags, right? After you see the Magnuson incident. If you want to call a red flag, I totally agree because otherwise that car, that race is ending under safety car, which to be consistent with my position in, you know, Max's first championship winning season, I would rather have that race finish than have it end under a yellow flag. And so I like the idea, certainly with a limited number of laps, regardless of the incident, calling a red flag, but it, this race made it clear that if you're not going to take into account all of these conditional things like the track, you know, um, the surface grip and the temperature and all these things, then it's safer to just say, let's do a rolling start. It removes some of that just like chaos of drivers being able to pick up three or four places on the grid when they were seven seconds behind the driver in front of them before. And you prevent sort of these massive crashes and additional incidents. And I, I think you just mitigate kind of what was a shit show in the last three races of this race, which took what an hour and a half. Like, fuck that dude. I'm glad I waited till the next morning to fast forward through dude. all those shenanigans. Hey man, I you're hundred percent right. And there is no counter argument to the fact that a rolling start is the fairer way to do it to the drivers and the teams, but it ain't putting fans in the stands, baby. Like <laughs> give me all the chaos. And again, I'm going back to my, but it's an hour here. and a half delay of a race. Yeah. A better, like I mean, that doesn't make the experience better. I and then you have didn't. these con, you have what, these what controversies of signs I, and Gasly and all this shit. Like I think it, yeah, do I mean? don't know. I fast forwarded through it. I, well, I was watching the. I mean, just <laughs> watching. The but if you were watching live, if you're at the race, like yeah, I, I just it. think who gives a shit. I mean, <laughs> F1 races are already shorter than the average sporting event anyway. So, like, what does another 30 minutes matter? Like, That's not necessarily like an argument for those other sporting events either. It sure beats the hell out of watching. A, I'd rather watch the F1 pit wall during a red flag than an entire MLB baseball game. They're probably the World Series, honestly. That's still more compelling. I don't, so like, don't, add, don't add, I don't know don't that baseball is a fair comparison. Of all nah, the sports you could have, you might as well pick golf. Don't at me with these this red flag dead period BS. I'm like I'm not here for that. But I I so I, I'm I'm fine with it being a rolling start. But again, just take a position and be consistent. If you want to bias towards standing starts, that's fine. And I, I would say I don't agree with Total Wolf on a lot of stuff. He was very fair and pragmatic when he was asked a question about this in his post post race presser. He was like, I don't care. What we do, we just need to know that if the whole standing start thing is now the standard, we need to know. Everybody just needs to know this is the way it's going to be and we'll adapt. But like the inconsistency is what drives people insane. Like if drivers know that like in the last 10 laps of a race, any incident above a super minor one is going to be a red flag so that we can finish under green and finish racing. Great. That's the expectation. You can say it's not fair. And that's perfectly valid, but you can't say that it surprised you. So, like, just be consistent. And that's a problem. They just haven't been consistent with it. And they also haven't, like, released an explicit position, right? 
on this like desire to like finish under green flags and how they're going to go about achieving it in certain scenarios. So just be explicit and be consistent. I'm fine either way. As a fan, I think the standing start is like pure chaos and I love it, you know? And it's not like I wanted Max to lose off the line. Like when they, I, of course I, I didn't want him to blow it. And like the best odds for him not losing that race was to get a, a rolling start. But like, God, I, I loved the just like Joker card it through on the out come of the race. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> so then you would agree, right? There's been a lot of debate of is the FIA making decisions simply to promote the the drama of the sport? And, and as you 100%. kind of justify your position, it sounds like, yeah, we're going to do a standing start because of that reason. However, so fine, take that position. I guess where I struggle with that is, all right, you're either going to have Two ends of the spectrum. One end of the spectrum is you're going to have situations like happen this race where drivers are going to push it because, oh my gosh, I actually have a chance now. So I got to capture everything here, which just leads to a bigger shit show or learning from those lessons. They're going to say, well, I'm just not going to risk it. And so you're kind of in a neutral outcome, minimal change situation where everybody's playing it safe on the restart. Dude, There's always going to be somebody willing to risk it, man. Always. For so do you think that leads? Do you think that gives more integrity to the sport of, hey, we've raced fifty six laps up till this point, and I've been getting my ass kicked, but now out of this random chance because Magnuson fucks up, that like I could pick up four or five spots here. Like, why are we even watching the whole fucking beginning of the race? I could give a damn about the integrity of the, if you're defining integrity as like what's good for basically like the philosophical like north star of racing. I could give a shit about that. I just need me at all. to be consistent and fair. Like consistency is fairness. I I don't think that this. That you're, I think you're casting this notion of making decisions primarily motivated by what's good for the entertainment product is unfair to racing, and I fundamentally disagree. This is an entertainment product. Like that's what it is. That's why the sport is owned by a media company who specializes in interfingtainment. Like. It's an entertainment product. So yeah, I actually, if they're not making decisions about race structure that are in service of the fans, I'd actually be extremely concerned. When you do it inconsistently, that's what's a disservice to racing because you don't allow teams to have a reliable framework for knowing how they are to compete. That's what's fair to racing. And that's what they're not doing. But I don't think it's that hard of a solve. And I don't think in doing so, if they choose to prioritize chaos and action on the track i don't think that would be unfair and i think you could extrapolate that into the whole like yellow flag versus red flag decision right totally because i think if you knew that again you're not going to be able to specify every situation but to to know that like if you could define it to the point where you said if a car is within x feet of the the white line we're going to call a red flag because of the risk if there are significant parts of a car, like a tire, that are in the track, we're going to call a red flag, right? Like, whatever those are, you would have been able to look at that situation and said, Albon's car is pretty close to the other edge of the track. They're probably going to red flag it. We're not going to bring Russell in at this point, right? So to your, to your like framework, at least being able to provide as much consistency and granularity of how you're making those decisions allows yeah. them to be able to look at the same data, understand the rule set, and then under like make an assessment as to whether or not it's going to fall under X or Y scenario and how they're going to respond. 
and your points earlier about feeling like it's tough for teams to design strategy around randomness that's inserted by the FIA. If you're if you just would be consistent, that's going to help teams design strategies around what you choose to do. Like you just have to be consistent. That's it. And and remove some randomness from it. But like yeah, if in doing so you you try to create and manufacture more close racing, I'm all for that, man. That's why I freaking tune into this stuff. Like I was so pleasantly surprised by the entertainment value of the track changes they made, I think we're going to get to this, were fantastic. The racing was super close. The pack stayed close. Like, I I mean, and we didn't even have guys, like, there was, like, pit stops were completely a non-factor. Like, there were no interesting pit windows in this race, and it was still just, like, incredible. Like, I was glued to my iPad and bed at 7 a.m. <laughs> so I'll return to the to the overall quality of the race, but with with corporate ownership, Liberty Media, and, and F1 being an entertainment product, are you saying that uh, you might reconsider your portfolio allocation if uh, if Liber- if they go to a, a rolling start? Is that going to degrade the entertainment value and therefore the uh, the cap value of F1 and, and Liberty I- Media? Or is, that will, a, is that a is that a is that more of a tactical trading dude, decision rather than a, a long term strategy? Liberty Media is not worried about their multiple their return on the margins. They've already like got a four x multiple on this investment. Yeah. So like, I if you're think looking to invest now, you're too late. Yeah, no, nah, I think those guys are straight. But uh, I yeah, I look again. Rolling start, fine. I don't care. I'd rather finish racing. Yeah, sure. Would it be slightly less entertaining? Yeah, but I just. At the end of the day, I just want to be consistent. That is my guiding principle. And to your point, the FIA just needs some clear, non-complicated guiding principles about how they're to approach the stuff that people can that people can rely on for a full season. Like that's that's it. Hmm. And it just is like so unnecessarily ambiguous and inconsistent and just based on the mood of whoever the hell's in the booth that day is what it just it's what it feels like. Right? Like it, you just get a totally different personality of the FIA every week. It seems like I, I well, and that kind of that in part has to do with the revolving nature of the the stewards and director, right? Where you know, versus a a singular person, every track, every race, and so it almost becomes even more important that you have a common set of guidelines as detailed as possible by which to make decisions, so that you further so, sort of remove that subjectivity. Well, you talked about the track overall. So it sounds like while you were you were pessimistic pre-weekend, uh, you know, track changes in terms of removing one of the chicanes, four DRS zones. It sounds like overall you were you were happy with the quality of the racing and and those improvements have have paid off. Dude, how could you not be? I mean, what's the um the high speed turn in the uh on in the sector two that Perez had a, through like two or three crazy ass overtakes on? Is yeah, there's, it's like a it's like a very 12, gentle chicane, right? Like where you're into right. that left hander, yeah. yeah. Dude, the fact that guys were throwing overtakes into that turn, I mean, this this race used to be a snooze fest when the when the turns were slightly lower speed. They didn't have those DRS zones; the cars yeah. couldn't follow. I think you could make a case, and the jury will be out till the end of the year on this. But like, I don't think there is a track. I think Australia officially wins most most improved player via combinations of track changes and also just being a track that was well suited for the changes to the cars to accommodate better racing. Like Yeah, they made this, all the right decisions. Do you agree with the whole three versus four 
DRS zones? Was it overkill it, or, or it do you might. think it actually led to better overall race quality? It, it might be a little overkill, but I think if I'm trying to change the policy to affect the quality of the racing, I'd rather start by maybe potentially overdoing it rather than underdoing it. So I can't really fault him for it. I, if they throttled, I don't know that they need to remove the fourth zone, but maybe shorten the third one is kind of my um, takeaway. But dude, I, I really, I don't know. I personally didn't get the feeling while I was watching it that like the overtaking was too easy or fake. Like you had some DRS trains out there. I mean, the only way Perez worked his way through the one he was stuck behind was by throwing himself up the inside of the highest speed chicane on the grid. So like, I literally like my butthole was just like, like, like he did like three times in a row. You're like, Oh my God. Like, so you, you, even he a, guy, a little ragged, a couple of them. It didn't look like totally, dude, like totally I was in like, control. Dude, it was, it was if close. That, if your rear end steps out on you, you are taking yourself and the guy on the outside of you out at 150 miles an hour into gravel. Like, that is like as high risk as you can go. And the only reason he was doing it is because like it's, you know, it's not like he has all these other opportunities on the track to get through a DRS train, even in a car that has that much of a mechanical advantage. Like, so I guess I, I can't look at the way the race transpired and say it was fake, like the, that the racecraft was fake. I, it didn't feel that way. Um, like it can sometimes. Yeah. I, I think you totally nailed that one. Uh, while, while the risk is that you make overtaking even easier than it might be for certain teams and drivers, right? Like Hamilton trying to defend Verstappen, for example, right? Like, oh, maybe that made it a bit easier, but that was going to happen regardless. And I, I think your point that there were still DRS trains with teams in the mid to sort of back of the field, that it didn't seem to provide a disproportionate advantage, right? Like, but I do think you still, what was unique about this one is I think because of the four, you actually saw situations where drivers that you wouldn't have thought be able to hang on to other cars were actually yeah. able to do so. And you sort of get that almost like bump draft kind of element where you're just That's getting dragged up the field like Gasly on signs, for example. Without those four DRS zones, he's falling off the back and and sliding down the grid. But the fact that he was able to press and hold on to signs you take away those red flags. Now he's in a very comfortable position in a high point scoring spot. And so, yeah, I thought it just created a lot of interesting dynamics and didn't seem to tip the scales too much in, in one direction. Nice. All right. Well, I think we've covered off safely on all things horribly boring regarding yellow flags and red flags and restarts. Uh, and, and I think the only thing I would add on on the overall race reaction, and they they talked about, I can't remember if it was in race or at some other part in the weekend, but they talked about the the quote unquote park circuits, right? Like Albert Park being one and Montreal being one. And I almost think they're like the most, from a fan experience, almost one of the most like optimal optimal venues. Like it just seems like Australia has an amazing time. There's ample space. Like you would watch the driver cam and there's people the entire distance of the track, right? Like at all parts of the track, whether they be in grandstands or just along the wall, it seems like an awesome setting. You get the cool proximity to a major metropolitan city. I mean, Montreal is the same way, which I thought was phenomenal being able to take the ferry across and, and just wander around the whole track. So 
I think there's an interesting model with that sort of like hybrid street and and almost like dedicated park area for a a race like this. So I think it's a cool I think it's a cool model. Hey, you know what other racetrack is in a dedicated park? What's that? Monza. How's <laughs> that for poking a hole in your park? Is, that, is it really in a dedicated park or is it yes. not a... No, it's in a park. Yeah. Now it's a, you know, I don't know if I would say park or just like total wasteland. Uh, well, I guess that's the difference, right? Is a lot yeah. of tracks are just in the middle of nowhere with a yeah, massive this, expanse, whereas you, it's not Albert Park the is a road where you'd go around the lake and you'd see the coast yeah. and all of that thing. Like, I don't think Monza's is like that. Albert Park is as if as if you had put a race in Central Park in New York, like, and that's exactly how and that's yeah. how Montreal is. Is it's yeah. sort of this island park that they've also you know used sort of like the ring road. I, I don't like know that Monza. It. I don't know that Monza really constitutes. The, that same sort of like park dynamic, but I also think that might have to do more with no, host country per- challenges rather than <laughs> just a personal thing, sort of I, ecological uh, design. Yeah, no, I, I, I and, like yeah, it. a little personal. You have a little personal uh, bitterness there that I, I yeah. don't necessarily feel. I don't personally like to drive the Australian track on, um, uh, on the F one game. <laughs> if I'm honest, uh, and aren't most circuits anti-clockwise and this one's clockwise. So it's like, it biases towards like more right-handers than most circuits. I, it's a little bit unnecessarily narrow just in general, but that just comes with the territory. I don't yeah. really like the drivability of the track still. I still stand by that, but the surrounding area, if you're like a city planner looking for like a good place to host a Grand Prix. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Like you couldn't really do any better than that. In terms of accessibility and beauty and, uh, yeah, room for hospitality, transportation. So, yeah. Might have to uh, add that one to the, the list of tracks oh, to, that'd be to awesome. visit. Yeah. Plan a little Australia, New Zealand trip around around the race. Dude, every single time I watch a race now and they show overheads of the hospitality areas, I immediately start looking. I'm like, how long is that line for the bathroom? I wonder how long is it? How long is the line for water? And I, I, in Australia, it was clear to me. It's like, oh dude, they, they put on a hell of an event. Everybody looked like they had space. They were super comfortable. Everybody that wanted a beer probably had one. I just resented those mother efforts. Oh, Canada, zero lines for the, for the bathrooms. And when you wanted to buy a beer, you could use, you know, human currency. So yeah, it was, it was great. I can't wait to get to Miami, man. I just, to redeem that, it just, ugh, can't wait. Yeah, you got to get that bitter taste out of your mouth, man. That can't be your your final final race memory. Yeah, wash it down with some caviar. <laughs> However, as I as I look at our, our uh, listener statistics, I am still so overjoyed that the Monza episode is our most listened to <laughs> episode. <laughs> just to know that as many people as possible have gotten to participate in your pain and suffering uh is it's just a bit of a high point well do me a favor let's maybe recap the teams and not recap my you know pain and <laughs> suffering anymore be great well with that i think we've covered a lot of ground already but let's quickly touch on the teams red bull finishing first and fifth well on track to satisfy your prediction of most runaway points this but- this year before you go any further on red bull can we address the insinuation you made at the very beginning of the podcast to try and diminish perez's performance in this race i want to i don't i want to make sure you don't gloss over that were you going to hit that point again because you seem to insinuate that you thought what he did wasn't particularly impressive oh yeah that's the number one question so finishing first and fifth perez coming from the back of the grid 
finishing fifth, albeit probably should have been seventh, um, and really put in that position. He he struggled. Really, both drivers, interestingly, struggled throughout the practice session. Verstappen with sort of like um, gear shift issues, Perez with braking issues. He 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 went deep on that same turn where he 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 ultimately sort of DNF'd out of qualifying multiple times in the final practice. Um, did so in qualifying, back of the grid start, made it to fifth. Did you think that that was a suitable performance, especially when you put it up against some of the the return drives that Verstappen has had of late, and the the sort of fanfare that that has been has been granted? And uh, if so, why? What was the race last year Verstappen started? Did he start in the back in Singapore, like the very back. Or was he 15th? I thought it was like either Spa and Hungary, I thought he did. Well, Spa kind of doesn't. Spa's like an overtaking like paradise, so return. that's not fair. I thought it was like Hungary where he also had a really big return, but I could be but wrong on that now. Spa, I think he started 15th and maybe climbed to 5th. Like, I guess my point is, I think that the relative climb is very track-specific, and so it's hard to be harsh and just say, oh, Perez, you had the best car. There were stoppages in the race. You should have You should have climbed much higher. Let's not forget, Perez was also disadvantaged by the first red flag. Like I was going to say, already, the flag's actually disadvantaged him in terms totally. of continuing to bunch the grip and get him caught in well, multiple DRS trains throughout it, the race. Well, that, but it also caught him on the wrong... T- he caught, it, it forced his first pit stop to be very poorly timed because he pitted under the first yellow for new tires and then immediately the advantage of that pit stop was diminished by the red. So, like, I think it's a little bit harsh to say that he should have climbed higher. Like, I think he did all he could do with the cards he was dealt. And also, going back to my point about him in turn 12... He was absolutely putting his nuts on the line to get through the DRS train as quickly as possible. And you can't say he didn't do it effectively. So, like, I think he deserves some credit for that. I mean, Horner in the post-race press conference was literally like, for a minute there, I think he forgot he had children. Like, I think he made the entire pit wall, like, kind of, like, cinch up a little bit. Like, and he's, I don't know that he's really known for that. Like, you know? Uh, So... I don't know, man. I think to give him anything below a B plus on the race, hear it on the qualifying, like dumb mistake. But to give him anything less than a B plus on the race, I think it would be a bit punitive. Yeah, I actually don't. Uh, while I had to pose the question, I, I don't really disagree with you. I think you make a great point in terms of the the overall conditions, the the impact of the the grid continually being stacked up, the, the pitting issue. When it comes to the qualifying, which I agree, I think. Again, it's those kind of things where you're able to take into account all of the macro things, right? And and what's going on, what's happened earlier in the weekend, what are the conditions on the track, the tires, you know, weather, et cetera. And now how do I, what performance do I try to deliver here? Given the fact that they did have to change parts and have him start from the pit lane, do you actually put that much blame on him, even for the qualifying incident, or do you would you chalk that up largely to more of a a mechanical issue, and and he's kind of off the hook for that one as well? It's possible, but I think for me to say that like his, you know, sending it in turn one and qualifying was because of bad brake bias, like I brake by wire failure, like you're purely speculating. So like, yeah, I hope that that's true. Because I want to believe he's going to come back and win in Baku in three weeks and be leading in the and you know somehow be leading again in the drivers' championship. But like, I don't know. Like he's you know Perez has never been immune to the occasional just like brain fart. You know, um, 
you know, lest we not forget, Max almost spun his car around when he had a eight second lead or twelve second lead. Uh, you know, so nobody's immune to it. Well, and I think that what's different there is it, it just seems like Max is processing more information because even in his post race, and again, maybe this was just a, a rationalization or a you know, the explanation he gave, but, you know, he talks about the fact that like, yeah, it could have been worse. I could have locked up, but this could have happened. And so, yeah, I decided to go deep. I knew I had this much time, right? Like it's almost like he's able to process that all simultaneously where while I would give a lot of fault to the mechanical factors, I guess I would have still expected Perez to put a time on the board, knowing just how much buffer he has. And even if he put one time on the board and you were 20th, like, at least you had a time on the board and finished the lap because you went conservatively enough, yeah. given all of those factors to put a time up. And he, he just didn't do that. And it's to your point, it's those just occasional things where they're enough that you're able to create the contrast of quality of drivers where you just put max on that, that one step higher, because even when he makes a mistake, he makes a miraculous recovery, which just almost like totally offsets it. Right. If he spins, gathers it perfectly and is back on his way. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's just an interesting contrast point between and the two. You want to talk about drivers that can process information though. I will say that there are none more impressive than Fernando Alonso. Who... Well, let's get to that. Aston Martin. <laughs> yeah, please. Take it away. Yeah. Well, no, I just like literally when Fernando got hit, spun, signs hit him after the last standing start, hit him, spun, and then races immediately red flagged. He comes on the radio in about five seconds, recalls the Silverstone incident where there was precedent. It's like literally it's like as if he's like a lawyer and he just like has these books in his head and he knows which court case he needs to go reference like immediately. And he was like, Silverstone said the year. And he was like, they reset the order because they didn't finish one sector. Like, da, 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 da. like he's like, you need to get on the horn with him right now. I mean, it's like he's literally like an attorney of like Formula One, like race precedent and his ability to like compartmentalize the emotion of the situation that just occurred to him on the track and then think like very logically and linearly is like insane. Like, and, and, and that has to just come with experience. Right. Yep. But he happens to be a guy with experience who still has the twitch and like the race craft that most oftentimes leaves you in your late thirties. It is like, special i'm becoming a massive fernando alonso fanboy i know a lot of people are this year but like can i just say i was on this block in the preseason like at least you know well the compartmentaliz compartmentalization is one thing but yeah i agree with you right as much other stuff as you can put on autopilot because of experience it sort of frees up the capacity to think about those things but yeah it was it was quite immediate it seemed where where he had sort of like you said ran through the the case precedent and you know, and and legal rules to determine what the outcome was going to be pretty pretty confidently, and he nailed it. Is well, there, so Mar if, yeah. if you had to pick one driver, put aside your personal allegiances, if you can. I don't think that's really possible for you, but put them aside. If you had to pick one driver on the grid right now to basically listen to their team radio and only their team radio for an entire race, who are you picking? Oh man. Uh Purely based on the entertainment value. But, no. Okay. Well, so that's that's the thing is uh, it depends on what you're you're gauging by, and you're saying purely entertainment value. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I think it's a little bit different. I would say Max because of the explicit nature of it, 
Um, I think Alonzo because of the the personality. I think Hamilton because of the mix of just how talkative he is, but also like the the sort of misdirections that people claim he often plays. Um, Dude, and then that's and then Yuki a- if and then Yuki if you're just for like a little bit of a rage fest. So I. Uh, I think it has I don't know. I think it's hard to say. I think you got to be able to switch. I think the more you can get all of them on like a simultaneous feed, the better. And that's when we plug this week's sponsor, F1 Multiviewer. (laughs) (laughs) Are you not getting enough from your standard everyday broadcast? Yeah. Anywho. Shitty YouTube TV subscription. I had Ted reach out to me. He's like, you guys got spot. Was that Icy Hot sponsor real? Dude, I I had several people. Fuck no, dude. You think we're on the map like that? Dude, I had several people ask me about that. <laughs> kind of makes me wonder. Well, never mind. <laughs> Which actually makes me proud of my like my uh, my ad read voice, and and we clearly nailed the whole uh, you know mirroring a Dude, mirroring you, a real ad. So your ad read voice is exceptionally more pleasant than your actual real voice. It's, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty wild. Well, well, I've considered actually just changing my my regular voice into my ad read voice, but. I feel like we're we're late into the game at that point, but if, if you really think that, I, I can work on that. Um, anything else when it comes to Aston Martin? I mean, I think by and large, pretty quiet performance from both drivers. Qualified fourth and sixth, finished third and fourth. Uh, okay, like, hold on. I don't know about quiet. I think we can't let slide the fact that Lance Stroll almost ruined his entire race and the team's day on the last lap, being an idiot and overbaking it into a turn. He had no business overbaking it into. And he got bailed out by the chaos in the order. I just think we need to acknowledge that. You've been very complimentary of Lance Stroll. I have to. He showed a little bit of his true colors, though, at the very end of but that race. But did it. But did it. Did, well, I mean, look, objectively, did it? it didn't It didn't penalize him. He got he got bailed out, which I'm not saying is like, yeah, there's right, luck well, that's a part of sport. Seems like a moot like, point then. He's uh, Well, I don't think it's moot, but point taken. Anything else I to add? I want to make sure on? that got acknowledged because I knew you were going to gloss right over that. I definitely was. Uh, anything else to to add on Aston Martin and what was really they were the winners of the of the weekend. I mean, these guys have a pretty firm grip on second place in the constructors right now, which is kind of freaking insane. <laughs> like yeah. that's insane. Like they, you know, Imola will be another inflection point in the season because that's when Merck has their B spec apparently coming out. But Aston's got some tricks up their sleeve too, I'm sure. So I, they, God, they are off to a fast and consistent start. They've had one reliability issue, but like a lot of people thought that they would be plagued by them throughout the year. And there have been teams that have been far worse off. So. Well, and to your point, consistency, I think they're exceeding Red Bull in consistency, right? If you chalk up Perez's issue to a mechanical failure, I mean, you saw Mercedes this weekend, which. You know, so the, yeah, they're almost they're winning the 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 consistency battle. That being said, Mercedes had a great showing this weekend. I, in my opinion, the best weekend of the year so far for them. I mean, obviously, right? Started second and third. Yeah, that was a bold take. I know they uh, had a <laughs> they had a car catch on fire. Well, no. So leading, but prior to that point, right? So the reliability obviously is a oh, huge is that a move point too? Is that a move point too? <laughs> okay, okay, but. Huge weekend for them, I think, just in terms of the performance leading up to that point, right? I mean, starting second and third, 
passing for stopping off the line to be sitting first and second at one point in the weekend, more or less managing the gap to Alonzo. Yes, I think you, obviously you saw the engine failure, which was catastrophic. I almost think they leaned too far into the whole jet engine inspiration thing. Like I don't think you were actually supposed to yeah. have the the fiery exhaust out the rear end. That was maybe one Man, one no step one gives too far. More shits about this jet engine inspiration than you. I swear to God, if I hear it more time, I'm gonna shoot myself in the head. <laughs> so I, I think, think it's safe to say they've overdone it a tad uh, yeah, this last like weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think short of that, it has to be pretty promising as they look ahead. Do you think this was a, a sort of track specific thing or, or do you think this spells them getting it, getting it figured out and, and, and spells some trouble for, for Aston Martin in the near term? I think it's incredibly track specific. I, they, you know, they find the right tire window. Everybody seems to be managing. Um, but, but. I don't mean that to say that you throw away a lot of other positives that, that were there for them. Um, I mean, one, so I, I, I got to call you out on this. You're probably amongst all of my friends, the quickest person to try and uh, come after seemingly the pettiness and the childishness of, of George Russell. My man's initial reaction after he got pulled strategy wise in and then red flagged his entire race screwed was immediate acceptance. Immediate acceptance. Ah, oh, man, I know you guys are making the right call. Tough luck. I think he deserves some credit for that. I think he showed some signs of maturity. Gerald, Gerald Carter, are you are you willing to admit that on, you know, basically the equivalent of local AM radio? <laughs> that George Russell showed some signs of maturity? I've also never seen somebody smile so big at their own level of self-accomplishment out of anyone oh else on God. the grid. And so his his decent qualifying performance, you would have thought he was elected president he's of the world. So. Hardly the most self-absorbed guy on that grid. Give me a break. That's a he's the one with the most, high, most he's the one with the most shirtless bar. photos. So I think there's a uh, high okay. correlation. Well. Yeah, you know, just chooses. It depends on what you choose to prioritize as you scroll Instagram, which clearly we know what you do. So um, the algorithm has me nailed. I, uh, <laughs> I, but I, to summarize, I think that it was mostly track specific, but I'm still bullish on Mercedes overall development trajectory this season. And they seem to have, they seem to have a very healthy team dynamic at the moment. Arguably the most healthy team dynamic on the grid at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I thought the team radio was interesting, right? Between the whole, how do they manage those drivers? Hamilton kind of attacking Russell, despite them telling Russell to manage. Do you think Do you think bringing him in had anything to do with trying to sort of mitigate that conflict on track? Totally. Totally. 100%. Yeah, clear, clear him out. So you think um, you think Hamilton had the pace this weekend on Russell? Then that being said, ah, so hard to say, man. There's it's such he didn't make just, it enough laps to really know. It's hairs between those guys on race pace. I, I generally give the edge to George in qualifying, and the edge to Hamilton in race pace is kind of where I usually average out. But like, who knows, man? Like they're both yeah, Hamilton's very, just such like a machine in terms dude, of managing deltas that yeah, it's hard to beat that. But they're both so fast. Like, I, it's you're splitting hairs, really. So, yeah. Well, while Mercedes, and, and what I will grant you on the last George Russell point is he is 
Yes, he he was incredibly hard done on his luck this weekend after a great qualifying and start. My issue has never been with how he handles defeat. It's how he handles success, um, which he had very little of at the end of the weekend. Um, Another team who had no success on the weekend to speak of, they didn't even show glimmers of promise, be it in qualifying or the race. Now fourth place in the Constructors' Championship, Ferrari, poor in qualifying, fifth and seventh, worse in the race with both drivers DNF, well, not D, well, basically DNFing. Leclerc literally at the race start and signs technically with the five second penalty when the entire grid was, was stacked up uh, for their ceremonial finish. Uh, where do we go? Uh, who do you, who do you blame this weekend? Can you really blame the team or is this, is this a hundred percent on the drivers this weekend, which is, uh, less the norm for this team? It's a hundred percent on the drivers. Um, I find myself really missing Bonato at times like this because the Ferrari like train wreck would be so much more entertaining if he was still the conductor. You know, like, um, what's his name? Uh, their new team principal. I, it's escaping me. Um, Vassar. Yeah. Va- Vassar is just so much harder to make fun of because he's just like kind of just constant and even keel. Yeah. And is seemingly kind of emotionally unflappable. And he doesn't really seem that unlikable either. Like, he's just kind of non offensive. And he kind of has like a hard edge to him, right? So, yeah. He, he, yeah. Yeah. Kind of seems Less old mockable. Kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. He's hard to mock. Um, like the guy, you know, that comedian that does all the driver impressions and the, the, uh, I can't remember his name. He's hilarious. But he does, when he does France, uh, what's his name again? Fred? <laughs> Fred Vesser. It's not funny at all because there's like nothing to make fun of about him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like really not funny. It's like um, maybe a French accent, but that's the extent of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and trust me, I love, you know, humor that's in, you know, at the expense of the French, but, um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's totally on the drivers and, um, I just wish Bonato was still here. So I just think between the engineers and the pit crew there and the strategists, they're just breathing a sigh of relief that like, <laughs> but if it's not, if it's not one thing in a given weekend, it's another. And they yeah. just Cannot it's, stitch it together. This is like me when I was sitting in fourth chair out of four on the trumpet line and middle school qu- chorus or middle school band. And, you know, you just like when somebody else really effed up in a noticeable way and it stopped the whole song, you were just like singing their praises. Like, thank God it was you and not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, thank more, God. It's just Timmy chewing, chewing on his saxophone again, you know. More insight into your sad, sad childhood than we needed. Um, yeah. And... With that, can, can let's. I, I would just say for Ferrari, it's. I continue to. It's still going to get worse before it gets better. So just hold tight. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I. What's, what? What is the bottom? I mean, if, if this was, <laughs> if this wasn't it, what? What is the bottom? Losing one of their drivers, like, and I don't mean like a death, a dying accident. I mean like somebody getting so fed up they don't want to hang around. Um. So. But I mean, at this pace, it's like when you got guys that can't deliver in situations like that, maybe you do need to lose one of your drivers. I don't know. Making the case so far this year. So, yeah. Well, with that, um, another team with plenty of of driver drama uh, in the offseason or late last season, McLaren, 
both in the points this year, um, no points prior to, and now they pick up 12 points with both Norris and Piastri finishing up there. A return to form in for Norris and qualifying, out qualifying Piastri sitting in Q1 versus Q2, finishing sixth and eighth, really based purely on survival. Uh, while Norris was on track for a points finish, Piastri was not. So luck definitely turned in his favor in his home Grand Prix. Chaos aside, do you judge this weekend as a step in the right direction for the team? And what is your reaction to all of the off-track news around really what we had called for recently, which was less of a focus on bullshit marketing gimmicks and accumulating the most sponsors on the grid and more focus on actually managing your organization and getting the right people in the right seats? Um, I think it's a step in the right direction, but I have to caveat that by saying that's really the only direction they could go from where they were. Uh, so I think it's important to consider performance relative to what performance relative to how they started the season. Yes. It's a step in the right direction performance relative to where they should actually be objectively on the grid. I mean, Jesus, man, like if the Alpines hadn't just yeeted into each other, they still are miles in fifth place on the constructor's table. So it's kind of like our general no, six. List- Sorry. Six. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, like, they, there's still not a lot of great stuff to celebrate on a objective, like, absolute basis. Sort of like our general listenership, right? It's, while we might have doubled in our last episode over the start of the season, it depends on what's your baseline that you're talking yeah. about, which yeah. we won't so, share here. Taya, what's, what's in your denominator? Like, it's not great for McLaren. They're... Again, like I really hope that they use TurboTax because they're going to have a lot of write-offs <laughs> for the charity that was received on Sunday. Like I'm not, I'm happy for them, kind of, but I'm not impressed, nor do I think anyone else should be. Well, it's making me, given that we are coming up to tax day, it makes me question your tax acumen because I don't believe McLaren would be the one writing off the the te- gift receipts I think it is more so Alpine who's able to write off both oh, is that, l- losses is, from damages and the and the charity that they provided to McLaren. You might want to revisit your fucking turbo tax filings, bro. I don't think you if got we that get, right. if we get, if we get into personal finance, we're going to lose people quick. So I think we've been, it's just in the analysis. <laughs> bring it there. back up. <laughs> <laughs> Point taken, though. That was uh, that was touche. Yeah, I had to, I had to just clarify that. Um, <laughs> You mean I shouldn't have been deducting all the Venmo transactions? <laughs> I was show shoot. All the Venmo transactions you were receiving as payment? No, I don't Deducted think that's... $20,000 in Venmo transactions. Yeah, I'm not sure that's how that works. Uh, <laughs> but the the great gift givers this weekend, Alpine, <laughs> now sitting behind McLaren in the standings after their self-induced double DNF caused by... Like so many other drivers, Gasly going deep on that first turn after the red flag restart, joining the track, Can't don't think you can say it anything but unsafely, smashing into none other than his best friend, Ocon. Uh, look, I think it was a, an interesting, a, a sad finish for Gasly after what was a great race, holding on to the back of signs that entire time. And 
and what was for Ocon a bit of a recovery drive. Um, well, not really. He, he was in 10th, so at least a points finish. But I mean, what was your takeaway? What what gloating do you have to offer um, given their their demise this weekend? Père Noël. Were you, were you just checking Google, Google the Translate say, on how to pronounce or is, that? Or, or otherwise known as Santa Claus in French. <laughs> the Santa Claus, the Santa Claus team, the team of benevolent gift givers. Oh, Gerald, this uh, this made my weekend. It made my race. Uh, seeing two cars come into each other and take themselves both out of the points after Gasly, I would say, arguably had one of the best races of his career, aside from maybe Monza th- two years ago, three years ago, whenever he was, whenever he won. Um, Oh my gosh. I-, I will give credit to Ocon for not, you know, going fisticuffs in the team room afterwards or in front of the cameras. Like he seemed very level headed about it. Gasly like took one question after the race and was like, I'm not I'm not in a headspace for this man. Like, get me out of here. Yeah. But you know that I generally despise this French team. I wish nothing good upon them, and um it was really great to see. Uh if there was one team I could pick to have like this happen, I'm certain there's nobody I wanted more than Alpine. But I mean, yeah, I mean they would have been, they would have been basically tied with you know very close to Ferrari in the standings totally. and well clear of the the rest with McLaren sitting back at you know what two three points they would have had. So yeah, I mean it was a big obviously still super early. This is not going to decide the championship, but. It was a big swing and has got to feel like like shit for them. And especially in a race where I, Gasly, you know, he even struggled early in qualifying, right? But then sort of just pulled out the right laps at the right time. Whereas Ocon, you know, was out qualified by him, blame traffic. Um, but yeah, but still, I mean, Gasly needed this and you know, couldn't couldn't bring it home. So that can't do much for the confidence. They're in a dark place right now, and I Kind of hope they stay there. Couldn't ask for more. Yep. Well, with that being said, they are just one singular point a- ahead of Haas, who put on the map this weekend by Hulkenberg, bringing home six of their seven points. Look, I mean, as a standalone performance, you have to give him credit both throughout qualifying and the race. I mean, in qualifying, starting 10th, held his own throughout the race. I mean, you didn't see a massive fall in his standing throughout the race like you did in in previous in the previous race. And in terms of t- comparative performance with his teammate, I mean, even pre-red flag, he is gapping Magnuson hugely an entire qualifying session between them. And and then on top of that, Magnuson DNFing in the final 3 laps largely unforced so reactions to Hulkenberg overall and we have to make another callback to how is how is Mick Schumacher looking these days well I, I yes agreed but also what I'll say is everybody last year two races in three races in could love nothing more than to talk about is Mick doing enough is Mick doing enough to deserve a seat is Mick doing enough to deserve a seat look at K-Mag 
stepping in and just going to town right off the right from the gun. When are we going to start asking whether Magnuson's doing enough to deserve right his now. seat? Now, yeah, I don't think he is. Like he's, you, dude. To your point, he's getting gapped substantially. I don't know that there's a bigger gap between teammates on the grid right now, aside from maybe Albon and Sargent. Like, but that you I can mean, easily default to to rookie. But I wouldn't even put put that up there. I no, Magnuson. No, this guy got. I mean, Magnuson. Well, I don't want to go. I don't want to say he got Mick fired. I think Mick hitting the wall got Mick fired. But like, correct. I mean, on a relative basis, I mean, Magnuson's crashy. Good God, dude! His his hit with the wall was like, what track were you driving? Like, the uncontested just hit the the wall. Like, they almost couldn't believe it in the commentary booth. They were like, "Oh man, he must have had a blowout because the tires rolling down the track and the cars back there." Like, nope, he just took a turn too wide and hit a wall. Like, didn't lose the front, didn't lose the rear, just hit the wall. Like, that's the type of stuff Mick was doing last year. So, I mean, I don't know, man. If Gunther is serious about his sink or swim culture, it's time to start scrutinizing K-Mag, in my opinion. I don't don't disagree at all in it. And I don't even chalk it up to the crash. I think it is purely on pace in qualifying – and then, yeah, did they converge in prior races? Yes, but they weren't in this race nearly to the same degree. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, he, he's got to definitely step it up. We'll return to the sort of Albon Sargent debate in one moment. Next team, Alfa Romeo. I mean, again, not much to say. They're a pretty quiet team on the grid. And I think I said it already, which was second week in a row, Joe, out qualifying, out finishing Botas. Uh, is it safe to say that looks like Botas is checked out this point and, and it, more focused on cycling and craft beer and growing a sweet stash. I, I, I think this is going to become a weekly ritual for us where you ask is Botas checked out. And I'm going to say, yes, he's been checked out the entire season. And then we'll just continue on with the conversation. Yes. He's been checked out the entire season. Have you seen his Instagram? But you may be too busy looking at George Russell shirtless, maybe flip over to, to Valtteri Botas and see how much other stuff he has going on in his life. Like I think the dude is fine. With where he's at, you know, he's entered into steady Eddie mentality in his career, which for some is a curse. For others, it's a beautiful thing. And I wish him nothing but the best in his endurance sport endeavors and his mullet and his great professional athlete girlfriend and his beautiful country home in Sweden. Awesome, man. Just go ahead and get that started full time. So do you think he's on his way out, or do you think Alpha continues to just hold him on, knowing that? How many years did he have in his contract when he signed last year? Before last year, like probably he got a lot, probably like three or four year deals. I mean, probably ride that out. But then after that, I mean, I I I I don't even know if it's a question of what Alpha want to resign him. I think it's a question of does Valtteri want to resign with anybody? Um, so. Yeah, multi-year deal. Well, we'll uh, we'll see. I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not sure they're getting what they paid for, uh, given his his current focus level. But somebody who is hugely focused, it seems at this point. Well, maybe not quite enough. Turn to Williams now. Uh, unfortunately, no points for them on the weekend, despite what was looking like a stellar one for Albon 
qualifying eighth, sitting sixth before a totally induced spin, which saw him sending it into the gravel and the wall, causing that first red flag. And then Sargent, unfortunately, again, kind of fall from his, his previous success out in Q1. And then at that, that really that second to last restart running into the back of DeVries, not, not being able to stop sufficiently. And how do you describe, I guess, the, the disappointment for both Albon and the team at this weekend? Or do you think, eh, it's actually not too bad given the fact that he was sitting in sixth? Yeah, I mean, I kind of think it's not too bad. Like, they're trending up, again, a performance relative to what, right? Like, <laughs> the back. They're, they're, they're trending upward, right? Like, it's so... Yeah. Silver linings are literally like what they're feeding on right now as a team. Yeah. So I would say there were definitely some things for them to feed on. Um, but I, I kind of have this theory about Alex Albon that he's like might be this super talented racer who just never has had a car that fits his driving style. And, uh, you know, he's got a Williams with a super twist. Honestly, like that Williams looks a little like, well, like a Williams, but also like the Ferrari can tend to look with a really twitchy, unstable rear end, and it just, like, screws guys. Yeah, I don't know if that was, like, fast. his downshift or, like, early know. throttle application or something, but it just seemed to totally Could, break loose. Yeah, like, out of nowhere. Like, he didn't yeah. look like he was doing anything irresponsible. Like, so... That's one of those ones where you're like, yeah, maybe this was like a mechanical thing. Well, and I almost equate him more to a Leclerc as well, where... I mean, while not on while on Red Bull, he struggled with the qualifyings. I would largely put that down to the the setup of the the Red Bull car at that time. But I mean, obviously, he did a stellar job in qualifying, and he he, he has been very racy at different points. Right, can manage the tires well, do all of those things. But then he just does these kind of wonky, dumb things like fucking lose it when you're all alone, or like Leclerc just blew the lap one turn. So it, it's it's he's got such potential and a high ceiling, but then he makes these kind of silly mistakes where, I mean, I'm curious to get your take on this of, you know, does he, is he really best positioned for that Red Bull seat post Perez? Look at qualifying an early race. You'd say, fuck. Yeah. Bonehead mistake gives you pause. Where, dude, where do you with, kind of put him in that ability dude, to step into that next tier team with McLaren sucking and Charles deeply unhappy at Ferrari, and also Carlos potentially very unhappy at Ferrari. Mm. I don't think Albon is the front runner for that seat at all. <laughs> like, yeah, you think you got three or four other people, dude, kind of lined I up for think that. That seat is totally up for grabs, and mm. especially if Red Bull is coming off of a three-year period of constructors' dominance, they will literally have dealers' choice of yep. drivers, regardless of what contract they're in elsewhere. So no, I <laughs> I do not think that is Albon's seat to lose. And they uh, might just stick with Perez for the yeah consistency and familiarity he's, and they're his but he's mm. the Botas that that team wanted and they signed him for another two year deal. That's also entirely possible. But you I think you, you chalk it up more to circumstantial factors rather than the nature of his performance. I'm not ready to write off Albon as a driver because I think he's more than likely had either bad cars or cars that don't suit his driving style. Jury's still out for him, on in my opinion. Yeah, but competition is high, even as good as he he could be, even at his peak. 
Yeah, he might just be end up one of those guys that's like he had a kind of on and off five, six year F1 career when it's all said and done. He just didn't land the right team at the right time. Otherwise, he could have been a long term guy, you know. Yeah, like, like he, he could have been that, Atlanta. He had that chance and life. didn't capitalize on it, right? And, uh, and yeah. did that sort of doom him to a, a second class team for the remainder of his time? Yeah, the difference between him and, and Lando Norris is that, like, they didn't land. Well, I don't know. That's a tough comparison to make because Albon did land at a seemingly very stable team. So he just didn't cut it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think I'm having a hard time believing my own argument right now, to be totally honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, Anyway, on to Logan Sargent. No, uh, no, keep, keep selling yourself. I'm enjoying yeah, yeah, the sorry. sort of internal conflict you're struggling with here. No, uh, but to the last point on Williams for Logan Sargent, I, for me, like for him, this one is like, this is kind of who we thought he was. He seems to kind of be slowly reverting to the mean of like a rookie driver. Um, well, he only, like, let's be honest. He really only had that glimmer in qualifying, which he blew. So I mean, has he has he really shown anything of brilliance no. yet? I mean, no. he hasn't even brought the qualifying lap across the line. And so, would you say underwhelming at this point, or as you would expect for a rookie driver on what think, historically has been a backmarker team? Yeah, I think I think his performances are appropriately valued at this point. Yeah. All right, he's a hold. Yep, hold. <laughs> and bringing up the rear albeit on the scoreboard finally sell 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 <laughs> sell, 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 sell. so AlphaTari picked up their first point with Sonoda however qualified 12th and 15th the Vries was about two tenths of a second off of Sonoda so not terribly Sonoda served as a bit of a bottleneck throughout the race and ultimately DeVries not finishing due to that collision caused by Logan Sargent. Positives, negatives from the team this weekend. Do you put any stock in the fact that they scored points and qualified decently well? Or was this were they benefactors of Santa Claus Alpine as well? And you still have them sitting at the back of the back of the pack. I see no, uh, to me, this team is, you know, trying to beat their way out of a wet paper bag and they can't, you know, do it. It's like, it's just kind of sad at this point. I don't know what Red Bull, the the real discussion is like, is Red Bull going to sell them or not? Like that, that to me is like, there's nothing, there isn't any compelling on track drama for the rest of the year on these guys. Like, it's just kind of. Well, sad. and the reason you hear them not willing to sell is them being sort of pivotal to their their engine program, right. As, as being a sort of guaranteed customer team, maybe you can negotiate that with a sale that the buyer picks them up as a customer team as well. But so I, I'm thinking that for, at least from other media reports, less than 50% odds on that one, but their performance certainly doesn't help their case. Maybe they, they merge some of their operating staff locations, et cetera, yeah. take them out of Italy so you might rationalize some of the, the footprint there. What's your takeaway, though, on, on DeVries specifically? I mean, I guess a similar question. Do you chalk this up to just the car dropping like a rock in the grid? And no wonder he's out in Q1 and 
20th in you know driver standing at this point or or do you read any more into his potential as a formula one driver it's impossible to say i mean i'm generally impressed by his demeanor and his seemingly level of immaturity but that doesn't pay the bills so yeah i think he's more than likely being disadvantaged by a really bad car but i i'm to, I, i'm not i'm like more neutral on Nick DeVries than like anyone else on the grid. Like I'm not rooting for him at all and I'm not rooting against him. He's just kind of there for me. Yeah. I'm yeah, not car, expecting him car to be around help. long. Yeah. The car doesn't help. Like, yeah. Well, maybe instead of uh, asking about Botas and his, his mental commitment, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll focus more on DeVries well, week in and me, week out. Only ask me about one basic bitch a week. I'm, that's your quota. That's all you get. Okay. All right. Well, basic bitches aside, let's talk personal podiums and DNF of the week. Personal podium, who you got? Uh, Hamilton, of course. Um, I'm also going to put uh, the pin you're holding for the amount of clicks that it's gotten on the uh, the broadcast tonight. Uh, that deserves to be on the podium. Uh, and then also that dingo that nearly got smashed by Verstappen. I just want to... Give him a shout out for getting, or her, uh, for getting their 15 minutes they, of fame, but also leaving with their lives. So, unlike that, gra- yeah. uh, unlike that groundhog in Montreal, can we cue up that fucking driver clip <laughs> yeah. again from, yeah, from Latifi yeah. hitting the groundhog in his home race? Oh, that, that is a classic. Uh, well, I would agree. I mean, honestly, we didn't even talk about Hamilton. I mean, just the, because it was kind of a, a quiet battle of gap management, but I mean, just that back and forth between him and Alonzo was, was a fascinating storyline throughout the race. Um, and, and look, I think we, while these folks don't get enough recognition throughout the, the race, I, I think we have to give it up to the guys who apparently are manually running the paper notes from the FIA to race control to determine whether or not they should yellow or red flag the race. Cause clearly they're not even using like Morris code at this point. Um, so props to those guys for, for hustling as much as they possibly can. So th- this clearly for you was a bit, but no joke when they reshuffled the order for the last red flag for the standing start. Did you see the FIA guy that was walking around telling the teams what order they were in? He was he was reading it off of like a piece of paper, like like one of those like like, like two by four, like handwritten like spiraled scratch pads. He was walking around with that. He looked like Adrian Newey, like writing notes on the car, but like he had literally screwed. It's like, dude, you don't have like a phone or an iPad that's got like some dashboard on it or like all this, you know. They got a million you, fucking screens and telecommunication technology, and they. You, yeah, you got a notepad with the grid order on it. Perfect, perfect. Glad to know that we're using the best equipment of it. Like, oh, <laughs> oh hey, but those are my kind of people. When the grid goes down, it's those people who are going to keep the show running. Hey, some people are nostalgic about handwritten notes, man. I'm, I do not have to be one of them. So, <laughs> well, and jokes aside, I, I, I got to give it up to. It would have been Albon, uh, but instead, giving it up to Hulkenberg, qualifying. Big points. For sure. Gap in the teammate. Looking good. Yep. All right. Uh, for the DNF of the week, I think we already heard some of it, but 
let's uh let's rehash a moment magnuson just for the like unexplained nature of that crash and then of course alpine um uh my first french phrase was obviously uh uh pierre and noel uh i just said it wrong uh, and then uh, the next one I'd like to offer you is a, a pauvre de train, uh, which is uh, a train wreck in French. So uh, they were so bad, they've inspired me to take up French lessons. Wow, that is that is significant. And this is clearly a show of great worldliness and culture. Thank you for bringing that. Hey, I've been to, to France all. more times than you, buddy. I yes. And I'm not sure why, given your your hatred. So seems a little bit hypocritical. Um, for me, it was unsurprising to you and my anti-authoritarian perspective, the FIA, get the shit together. And then beyond that, uh, Ferrari, and specifically the drivers this weekend, team, strategist, pit crew, you get a pass. Don't fuck it up in Baku. Speaking of Baku, let's briefly look ahead uh, Graham, I, I know you are a big fan of this track. Why don't you give me a bit, bit of a bit of a flavor for what is to come and, and what do you expect? Baku is my favorite track of the calendar. It is, I think, the perfect street track because it's wide. There are high speed sections, a very long straightaway, but also very tight technical turns. I think it's got everything. Some street tracks are just overly narrow. Uh, some street tracks are, you know, far too technical and there's no opportunity for overtaking this kind of bucks all of those trends. So you get the excitement of a grid shuffle with the danger of walls that are close, but it's still a track that's wide enough to be racy. I think it's the perfect track. Historically, we always have entertaining races at Baku. You know, everybody remembers the, the magic button incident with Hamilton two years ago when Perez took home, or was that last year? When Perez, no, it was two years ago during the Max Hamilton championship fight when Perez took it home. Yeah, the Max blowout that same race. It's a DNF heavy track. Uh, also, like, who the heck knows who? How many people in America do you think, apart from the fact that this place has a Formula One Grand Prix, would even know that Azerbaijan was an independent sovereign nation? Like, there is. No other reason to think about this country. No offense. I mean, actually, I can't say that because that's a very offensive thing to say. I just hope we apologize to our broad, I, our vast and diverse Azerbaijani listener base. This, this to me is the equivalent of there being like the coolest football stadium in the world in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's like doesn't make sense that it's which, there, which is also true. But but it's cool that it is. And now that it is, I'm glad you guys executed it so well. There's a castle on the track. How cool is that? Like, literally, like, my favorite television shot in Baku is the camera inside the castle. I know you hate it. It's, dude, it's so classic. I love it. You, like, try to peer through this narrow window. You just love the fucking castle, dude. It's, you, you love that shot where they fucking are outside and then zoom through the window to get them exiting that turn. That's your whole, that's your whole weekend. I love this track. There's nothing about this track I dislike. Well, something about maybe not the track, but the race weekend that is of a hot topic right now and some people might hate. New race weekend format proposed 
has not been finalized yet, has sort of votes to be done and certain things to be worked out still, but potentially a change to the format being a single practice on Friday, followed by two qualifyings to split up Grand Prix qualifying first on Friday, followed by all things sprint on Saturday, starting with a qualifying and then the sprint race, followed by the Grand Prix on Sunday. I think accomplishing two goals here, one, satisfying the the demands from teams to not have the sprint race finishing standings dictate the start of the Grand Prix um, positions, but also dovetails into other conversations that are happening around format changes being a reduction in overall practice times for the standard race weekends, potentially going as far as a single practice session, which will exist in this next weekend. So a bit of a trial period for them on that. What's your take overall in the the changes proposed for this sprint race weekend? Do you like them? Do you not? I... I don't know if I like it, but I'm glad they're trying it. Is that a fair answer? Like, I need to see it first to know how I feel. I think this is a good track to do it on because I love this race so much. I'm going to be paying a lot of attention all weekend. Um, I don't know. Like, the arguments for, okay? Some people think sprint races are too punitive to the real race order and that they diminish the value of qualifying. And I'm, I totally agree, especially on protecting the value of single lap qualifying. Like, that's always been my biggest gripe with the sprint race format. So if you can solve that and make that still influential on the Grand Prix order, I think it's great. The risk of this structure is that it diminishes the value of the sprint race of existing in the first place, which is like, okay, so if the guy who qualifies second crashes out in the sprint race but it doesn't penalize his grid order on Sunday at all. Does that make the sprint race less compelling? Kind of. So like, I don't know. I guess I'm not quite totally sure how much I'm going to care about the sprint race in this format. I need to see. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I would be one of those people who think it diminishes the value of the race on Sunday. But at the same time, in order to do that, unless you have one qualifying dictate the start of both and you basically just have the same starting grid, you kind of need two qualifyings. But then that also feels redundant in and of itself. And we won't get to it today because we're already well over time. But I also don't think one practice is enough either. I, I think you could entertain reducing practice by by one um, and go two practices alone. but it feels like very minimal time and and you're just in such a higher risk reduction mode, right? Like you're not going to be really pushing it in your first practice. You're not really going to be pushing it in the sprint qualify or in the sprint race, because to your point, doesn't matter as long as you nail the Grand Prix qualifying, who gives a shit about where I finish in the sprint race. It's not enough points to matter. So, so yeah, it remains to be seen exactly how, how the teams and the, and the drivers approach the weekend. Now, if you want to give more points out to the sprint race finishers, I, you know, but then you're risking changing the then what's you just valued have two Grand Prix every weekend. So let's exactly. race twice. 
Exactly. And so it's just like, really, do I want a car that only is good on single lap pace to be competitive in the constructors? No, because that's not the point of an effing constructor series Grand Prix season. Like yeah. endurance is fundamentally part of the sport. So like, I, let's see. Look, at the end of the day, is Friday more entertaining in this format? Absolutely. Is Saturday more entertaining in this format? Maybe a sprint race that doesn't influence Grand Prix starting order relative to a qualifying event that does. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, it's almost like you I just tune in Saturday and like, oh, I don't have time to watch Grand Prix practice and qualifying and I'm busy Sunday. I'll just watch the the mini Grand Prix with Saturday qualifying and practice. Maybe that's part of it, right? Is now people can sort of not expend their entire weekend like psychopaths like us and just say, I got Saturday or I got Sunday. And so you can almost compartmentalize your time a bit more. When you're watching qualifying, like on a normal old, like fashion weekend structure, or if you're watching it on recording, which I happen to frequently because I'm always out and about on Saturdays, do you find yourself frequently tempted to skip through Q1 and parts of Q2? Fuck no. No? Okay, that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I okay. think, uh, I think, but I think it's because it has so much weight and like that's so much of the narrative of like yeah. Perez crashing out in Q1, Sargent almost making it through, but not because of this. I mean, that sets the tone for the, for the race. Um, but I probably would on like sprint race qualifying. Like would I even watch sprint race qualifying? Probably not. Well, I watch the sprint at that point. I might check out of Saturdays altogether, honestly. I'm going to tune in on Friday because I could put that on in the background reasonably well and then tune in on Sunday, but... I hear you. Let's let's give it a shot. Let's see how it goes for Baku. I think, in general, you know, when I'm, when I'm spouting out buzzwords at work all the time, I like to say things like, I'm a fan of experimentation, you know? Mm. So I'm going to stand test by that. Test and learn. I'm going to just test and learn, okay? I'm going to stand by that, I think... I'm pro-experimentation, so I'd rather try it, see how it works, and then we'll go from there. Ask me in three weeks. I mean that genuinely. And then I'll have a a firm point of view on it. Well, fortunately for us, we don't have a map. We don't have a say or a choice. And so we will see how it goes. A bit of a gap until the next race weekend. This one kicks off Friday, April 28th. The big gap because, once again, unfortunately for Joe and all his Home country fans, no race in Shanghai again. Uh, so that one's off so the calendar. So stupid. Like, they're not even in zero COVID anymore. You think health and safety still... is a joke, Graham? You think yeah, safety I think is it, stupid? Dude, it is such a... Can we... I just... I know this isn't... I don't want to make this political. I'm glad we saved this till the God, hour and a half mark no, when nobody I'm else is gonna, still listening. I'm not going to go down this, this, this block, like, super deep, but... I, we just can't let it go by just to not acknowledge how stupid it is. That, And I get that they probably canceled it and then Zero Code was lifted at a point where it was too late to restart it. it could, but, like, dude, come on. Really? Like, we've moved on. The world has moved on, and you still can't get to a point where you're comfortable hosting an F1 race? Get, dude, come on. What a joke. I, I, I just... And I only reason I'm really spiteful about it is because I like that track. I actually think it's a really cool track. It is a cool track. And in in the tenure of my F1 fandom, which is post-drive to survive, I've never seen a race there. Yeah, I saw I've a, never I, seen one. I saw a, a few, but and it was always good. It was always interesting. 
So, but with that being said, Azerbaijan next up. See you in Baku. Looking forward to it, buddy. Always a pleasure. Peace. Peace.